0: We've got several readings this morning, all of which are listed up there. So I'm starting in Exodus chapter 3. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. I am has sent me to you. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you, or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf? Or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. And then turning to John's gospel for the second readings. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You're one of his disciples too, aren't you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a cock began to crow. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Jesus said, "Feed my sheep."
1: Can I just say, um, it is a bit kind of. Can you believe it's September? Um, I can't quite get there. We just got back from holiday yesterday, so I'm in the, uh, I'm, I'm in the holiday mode. I'm in. Um, I, I can't kind of get my head around it because um, the way my summers worked out, um, I've been doing different things for the last five weeks. So I can't. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around the fact that I've. I've got to go to the office and do the normal stuff tomorrow morning. And I'm going to be in London Wednesday, Thursday. And it, it, it's kind of. Um, but my summer started off, and I just want to, because in a sense I can get links in with this, just say a word about that. Um, my, my summer started off with a trip to India. Um, the churches together in Cambridgeshire are twinned with the, the Diocese of the Law, which is part of the Church of South India. Um, And if you don't know, kind of, to to kind of give you just a rough clue um, where that is, the Dice of Valore kind of straddles the top of Tamil Nadu, which if you look at a map of India, is the bottom right-hand corner. And it's just kind of up from the bottom and goes into um, the neighbouring strait, Andhra Pradesh. And so we were um, living for three weeks on the outskirts of Valore and doing all sorts of... um, things we we had good preparation we you know that hottest day well that should have been our first day in india so we we'd had the lead up um and then it it didn't start well actually if i'm honest because um we were flying out of birmingham because that's where we got the cheapest fares and we were delayed um five hours so we got an unexpected day in dubai which was a bit of a bonus i could have done without um and we arrived in india um 24 hours later than we should have, but those temperatures of the mid-30s, which you had for a few days, um, I had them for three weeks, um, so I kind of got a bit of acclimatisation. but um, it was good, and we did lots of interesting, lots of exciting things, and it was really um, interesting, it was my second um, visit, but to just see the challenges of being the church in a very different society, and with, with very different challenges, and some of the interesting things that were were going on. Three weeks ago today, I was preaching at a a church in a place called Cut Peddy, um, and um, the the church was about half full when we started the service. um, 15, 20 minutes into the service, it was packed with people sitting outside because that's how it worked. The service lasted, um, coming up for two and a half hours. We'll try and not match that today. Um, There were three offerings um, and um, it was all quite, well it's interesting actually because I was going to say it was all quite different, but actually even though most of the service was in um, Tamil and I don't speak um, a lot of Tamil, um, yet there was a familiarity and I could follow what was going on. Um, The sermon which I preached was, of course, in English, although it was then um, given a translation into Tamil by the minister there. But one of the kind of moving things, and I think it links to to what we've just watched and what I want to go on and talk about, is the fact that you can go into a, a situation that is so very different in so many ways, and yet we are one in Christ. And there was a real sense of that. And there was... Although there were things that were different about the service, yet there was a familiarity about the service. And I wasn't quite sure what they were saying or doing all the time, but we had the creed, we had the Lord's Prayer, we had things that we would, would, would well have. Um, and the previous two Sundays I'd been preaching in, in two very different other churches um, in that area. And it was just a really enriching experience. And it just reminds us, and I think it, it's good for us to remember as we come together out of this community to remember the kind of mix of that. I went more or less straight, I was panicking actually when we got delayed by 24 hours because we were we were due to get home and then about literally just over 24 hours after we got home I was due to leave to go to Gatwick to fly out to Italy for a week on holiday so I thought well if I'm going to be in real trouble if we get delayed 24 hours coming back Um, happily we didn't we arrived on time Um, and so we then had a week then then we've just had last week um, down in Suffolk so that's been nice and peaceful and it's just been great to see that mix and so we come and you know you will have been doing different things the summer always is a little bit different we we hope it's not quite gone we'll have to wait and see but as we get back into the run of things as schools start off and um, I'm still stuck with school holidays because I married a teacher, so the fact that the children are grown up, it doesn't help me at all. Um, but as we get back into that run of things, and as I think of my week and my month ahead, um, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with September. I love it because it, it, it kind of is the start of so much, um, and in a sense it is the start of the church year, um, I mean it's not in other terms but it's when things get going and yet it's always so busy um, I kind of look and um, most of my Saturdays through September I'm doing something and I quite like when it's not but it's, it's that kind of mix but let's just rejoice as God takes us and it's an exciting time for Camborne of course um, I, I, I don't know why because I've I I know all about it, but I'd kind of forgotten that I'd um, be coming to a bit of a building site um, just adjacent, but isn't that exciting? Um, And as um, that building, uh, that bit of the building goes up and is is well on the way now, and of course even more exciting is the fact that, um, as Rachel mentioned earlier, um, Bill and his family will be joining and becoming part of us, and we look forward um, to the induction and to that next chapter in the stage of of what happens and the enabling role that Bill will take and enabling you to, um, in an effective way, be God's people in this community. And so it it is a really exciting time. I want to um, kind of link in, I I can't even remember, I don't think I wrote it down, what the title, I didn't like the title that they they had. on, I, I like the, 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 um, the, the kind of theme of that, but it was something like characters in, um, in biblical narrative. And that didn't seem like a kind of um, good, good title for me anyway. So I've taken as my title, Discovering Sinners and Saints in the Bible and Today's Church. And that's what I'd just like to reflect on with you for a few moments. I was reading a book, um, it's a little while ago now, by a a guy called Dave Tomlinson. Um, Dave Tomlinson is or was a vicar in um, North London, quite close to actually where I used to uh, be minister um, way back in the 80s. And he's written a number of books, but there's one in particular that is called How to Be a Bad Christian. Now, my younger daughter saw me reading this book and she noticed, well, she only noticed part of the title because certainly in the edition that I've got, the How to Be a Christian is printed in black, and the word bad is printed in red. So she didn't notice the word um, bad. She thought that the book was simply and purely entitled How to Be a Christian. And she commented, I thought you would have known that by now, Dad. (laughs) When I pointed out what the actually was the full title she was even more puzzled why on earth would I want to know how to be a bad Christian but of course it depends on what you mean depends how you define things because as Tomlinson says of himself near the end of the book I am a bad Christian far from having answers to all of life's hard questions I have an ever-increasing list of these questions. Far from being an unwavering believer, I have frequent doubts. Far from being enamoured within the church and Christianity, I often despair of them. I hate the idea of being part of an exclusive club, The Righteous Ones. But, but, I am captivated by the figure of Jesus. And that's the point. Of course, we're part of the church. God calls us to that. And God is quite happy to put up with all the chaos, all the mess. And that is because essentially, we are people of Jesus. We are followers of God's kingdom, and we matter to God. I mentioned Dave Tomlinson's book because I want to retell a story that he mentions. It's a story that I think is my favourite story in the whole of that book. Indeed, it's one of my favourite stories of the moment anyway. And he tells how he was talking with a, a grieving woman about her mother And he says, I asked if there was a story or incident that illustrated or encapsulated what her mother was like. And after a brief pause, she replied, When I was a small child, I broke a treasured vase, a family heirloom. Knowing how important it was, I screamed, as it crashed to the floor and broke into a hundred pieces. But when my mother rushed into the room, she appeared relieved, not angry. Gathering me into her arms, she said, Thank God, I thought you were hurt. With tears in her eyes, Tomlinson writes, the woman told me that was what my mother was like. And that was the day that I discovered that I was the family treasure. And I want to tell you today, all of you, and I mean this very seriously, you are treasure. You matter to God. We're thinking today of how we might discover sinners and saints, both in the Bible and today's church. I wonder how you would classify yourself given that choice? Do you see yourself as a saint? Or do you see yourself as a sinner? The point of the question is of course to note that we all are both. It may be that at times we feel ourselves to be more at one end of the spectrum and at other times more at the other end. But I want to encourage you not to be too concerned about that of course we're all sinners that is clearly and classically stated in Romans 3 verse 23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Jesus urges us towards perfection and that's where we should aim But we'll miss that target and we shouldn't get unduly discouraged by that fact. God still loves us. It doesn't, of course, mean that we should pay no attention at all to going wrong, that we shouldn't be bothered about it. We are encouraged, we are genuinely encouraged to do our best. We are encouraged with God's help to live God's way. But God loves us, come what may. We are sinners, to use the, it's a bit of an old-fashioned word now, isn't it? But it makes the point, we are sinners, but we are also saints. I love the way that Peter puts that in one of his letters. It's there in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, Verses 9 and 10, actually, and Peter there says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's a series of amazing statements. And it is just as much a comment on today's church as it was on the original set of Christians to whom Peter addressed this letter. You are God's special possession I'm not going to go through the whole list again. It's there if you want to go back for it. It all applies. I love reading the stories of people that appear in the Bible. And as I watch something like the video that we saw, I am quickly reminded that these were ordinary people, just like you and me, but they allowed themselves to be used by God, just as we can. It didn't mean they were perfect. It didn't mean that they never made a mistake. It didn't mean that they never messed up. They did. (laughs) But God continued to love and use them. Sometimes we allow our thinking to be coloured by the Stories of great exploits, forgetting the frailties that are reported alongside these. I remember one preacher once putting it like this. He said, we often think of Abraham as a great man of faith. But it would be more accurate to talk about Abraham as a man of faith in a great God. Do you get the difference? It's subtle but important. Today's scripture readings, and that's why I wanted so many little bits, um, so thank you for that. Help us to see the balance. Moses is undoubtedly one of the most prominent and faithful characters of the Old Testament. He was the one who led the Israelites out of slavery. In a list of the greats of Israelite history, Moses is going to feature strongly. He was God's servant, but that does not mean that he always got things right. Right near the beginning of his story, as we saw, we have the account of his engagement in an act of violence as he kills an Egyptian. And then later on, as we read, when he is called by God, he is extremely reluctant to take up the challenge. He comes up with excuse after excuse as to why he should not be the one to take on this mantle of leadership. We tend to have this picture of the well-known Biblical characters saying to God, here I am. What's the hymn that we sing? We sing it, don't we? Here I am. Send me. But in actual fact, the initial response is very often precisely the opposite. They're very good at coming up with excuses. They try their best. To evade the call. Time after time you hear and you read that in the Bible. Moses is a very good example. But he's far from the only person who takes that line. If you're not sure about what God is calling you to do. And if you feel a bit like Jonah. And want to run off in the opposite direction. Don't worry about it too much. Because you're in very good company. It happens time time and time again in the pages of Scripture. Moses took decisive, if violent, action against an Egyptian whom he saw attacking a fellow Israelite. He was very clear on what he was doing, he did it. But when called by God, he suddenly becomes uncertain, evasive simply wanting to protest his inadequacy. But God has chosen him for the role. And God sticks with it. God keeps calling him. God meets all the objections that Moses raises. It's interesting, God doesn't dismiss them. God doesn't say to to Moses, don't be stupid. But God says, look, this is how we can deal with this. God values Moses for who he is. And what God does is to help Moses to see how the problems that he raises can be addressed. And that's just how God also comes alongside us. God's not seeking to trip us up, but God wants us to partner with him in making a difference in the world in which we live. One important thing to remember is that God will never ask of you something that you can't do. It might push you. It might be a challenge. But if God calls you to a task, God will support you by giving you the capability, the resources, whatever it is you're called to do. And then the two snippets of gospel reinforce this thinking. They give us two little glimpses of Peter, one the little section from John 18 is an account of Peter, what was, I guess, his lowest point. It's the moment of denial. I don't know him. I don't know this man. Previously, he had claimed that this wouldn't happen. He could not imagine anything other than standing firmly alongside Jesus. But when the context changes... When things turn nasty, Peter falters and fails. You're one of the disciples. No, I'm not. How could Peter fall so far? And yet, would we have done any better? And we might think that that's the end of Peter's discipleship, but of course it isn't. Peter still matters to Jesus. And Peter still has the large task of being one of the key leaders of the very early church. And so in the little segment of John 21 that we heard, we have the account of what we might call Peter's reinstatement. It's certainly very clear that Peter is still on the disciple team. Indeed, I'm sure that it's not significant that just as he had denied Jesus three times, he is now given three opportunities to profess his love for Jesus and so demonstrate his commitment. Peter was the one who had professed his devotion to Jesus most strongly. The fall had therefore been great, but now that is in the past as he confesses once again his commitment, his love. But I think there's one very interesting thing to note about the response that Peter offers at this post breakfast conversation beside Lake Galilee. Because when Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he doesn't just answer yes. That's what we might expect. (coughs) But what he says is, you know that i love you twice he says you know that i love you the third time he states it even more strongly you know all things you know that i love you three times peter affirmed his love but he had learned a very important lesson he was able to make this affirmation not because he was confident in the strength of his own love or commitment, but because of the surety of Jesus' knowledge. You know that I love you. Trying to do things in our own strength is very risky, to say the least. It just doesn't work. We won't get things right. We won't be doing even the little we can to bring about God's kingdom what we learn if we look at the biblical accounts of God's people is that doing things in God's strength transforms them. Yes, Peter is a sinner, but he is a forgiven sinner and that makes him a saint and that is why and how he and we can be disciples of Jesus. Amen.